Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Dean Carnassus once ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. That was in 2006, not long after his memoir, Ultra Marathon Man, became a national bestseller. His new book, A Runner's High, charts Carnassus's return to the Western state's 100-mile endurance run in his mid-50s. Carnassus won the Badwater Ultramarathon and Four Deserts Ultramarathon series. Dean Carnassus, welcome to Forum. Hi, Dean Carnassus, are you there? Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Oh, no, I'm that's here, okay. I just got back from a run, so I'm running a little late, as every <laughs> runner knows. <laughs> How long was your run today? It was a quick one. I, it was 10 miles. A quick 10 miles. That's, that's so great. Uh, so, <laughs> so if you could, because your new book is, is really based around this whole experience of, of returning to the Western States 100-mile endurance run, could you just start by reminding listeners or telling listeners who aren't familiar with that race what it is? Yeah, well, there's a 100-mile foot race, and it gets better than that. It's a 100-mile foot race through the Sierra Nevada. It starts at the base of Squaw Valley and finishes in the town of Auburn, which is outside of Sacramento. So it's a, it started out as a horse race, but one year a rider's horse, as the legend has it, his, his horse went lame, so he decided he was just going to run instead, and somehow he made it. So ever since that, that time, it's become a very popular uh, race and really a contest of, of human willpower because you only have 30 hours total to run 100 miles uh, across the mountains. And I mean, that's sort of the incredible part of it, right? Somebody can run this thing and they are literally trying to pull their bodies across that final finish line. But if, you know, with like 100, 100 feet to go, the 30 hours is up, that's it, right? The race is over. Yeah, no, that it's a very hard cutoff, and um, that last hour uh, of the race, hour twenty-nine to thirty, is called the golden hour. And I think it's ironic that five five times the number of um, spectators come out to watch that final hour than do to watch the winner of the race. So there's so much human drama in that final hour, yes. as as you said, people who are just have nothing left whatsoever and they are just crawling literally to get to the finish line and it's it's such a powerful emotional experience to witness it so what is your relationship to this race what role do you feel like it has played in your life oh it's it's indelibly shaped my life in in every way and i think anyone who's ever run uh the western states 100 mile endurance run would say the same thing there's no way it can't become part of your identity. 
because it is such a powerful experience and it is so uh, overwhelming and it so commands your complete attention that the experience itself is so heightened that it gets imprinted, I think, on your brain somehow. <laughs> and you talk about if you've run it, and the thing that's kind of remarkable is that, and this is something you talk about in your book, is is how much being an ultra marathoner has grown. I mean, the number of people who participate in ultra marathons these days has grown exponentially in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, the first the first year I ran an ultra marathon, I think there was 3,500 finishers in North America. And that was back in 1993. And I think last year, there was close to well, I shouldn't say last year, because last year was kind of a write off. But the, in 2019, there was something like 135,000 finishers. So the race has proven, you know, the ultra marathon has become almost part of the everyday lexicon. But I would still say, Mia, that probably most of the listeners right now don't know that humans are capable of running 100 miles nonstop. I think I'm always amazed because it, it, I'm so close to it that I just assume everyone knows that ultra marathoners do these sort of things. But I, I don't think many people uh, actually know this. Really quickly, though, what do you attribute that growth to? I think it's, you know, I think it's, you know, life is so easy these days. You know, why do something difficult um, because life is so easy? And, you know, I'm speaking, this is pre-pandemic, which has kind of changed, you know, everything. But I think that there was so much comfort and convenience in our lives that we long for the struggle. I think that in Western society, we got things spun around a bit. We thought if we had every comfort and convenience available, we'd be happy. And in so many ways, we're so comfortable, we're miserable. And so ultra marathoning really tests you. It really pushes you uh, to do something that's extraordinary. And there's no shortcuts. I mean, you have to commit, you have to pay your dues. And I think there's an, an appeal to a certain amount of people about that. We're talking with Dean Carnassus. His new book, A Runner's High, My Life in Motion, is releasing. It came out today, right? Today's the release date for it. Today's the, yeah, yeah. So that's I'm honored to be here with you on, well, on the release day. Yeah, we're really honored to have you as well. And I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. Are you a long distance or a marathon or ultra marathon runner? Are you thinking about training for a marathon or taking up running? Tell us why uh, the book is called A Runner's High. So if you have any thoughts on what that means to you or what a runner's high is, uh, give us a call 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're heading into the break. We've got about 30 seconds, Dean Carnassus. But why A Runner's High? Why the title? I think it just captures my life as a runner that, uh, you know, I came up with that title after a long run. And I just kind of had that glowing feeling of a runner's high. And I thought, what a great title for a book. Well, we'll talk more about it after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking with Dean Carnassus, ultramarathon runner, author of the book, A Runner's High, My Life in Motion, which charts his return to the Western State's 100-mile endurance run. And we're inviting you, our listeners, to join our conversation with Dean Carnassus, especially if you're a runner or if you're not a runner and why you are not. Let us know what it means to you. Why do you run? 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Dean Carnassus, before the break, you were talking about how, especially pre-pandemic, that people were needing to challenge themselves, realizing that maybe what really was a full life was a life where you're really testing, struggling, you know, basically almost making yourself... Uh, miserable, really challenging yourself in a way when you're running, because that is so much a part of that whole conversation you're having when you run, especially on a long run. And uh, but but I wonder if there are things about the pandemic, how the pandemic affected your running uh, that people don't realize this past year. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there, there's a the phrase I had, there's, you know, there's magic and misery. And I think that was the case prior to the pandemic. And I think it's even heightened now. Um, running has experienced an, an amazing boom during the pandemic. More people have turned to running as a source of exercise, but also as a source of um, psychological renewal, you know, emotional um, uplifting. You know, it, it's something that anyone can do. It's very approachable, the sport. You know, all you need to do is run. <laughs> I mean, you don't need fancy. You don't need anything. You just need to start moving your feet a little bit faster than a walk. And people have found um, almost salvation in that, um, the movement, you know, we learn a lot through the movement of our body and we get in more in touch with ourselves. And I think at least for me, running is very cleansing and it's, it's very, very rejuvenating. And I think more people have experienced that during the pandemic is just a way somewhat to escape, but somewhat to renew. Hmm. Let me go to caller Gregory in West Hollywood. Hi, Gregory. Hi, Dean. What an honor to be running with you on this trail this morning. Um, Longtime listener to your work and reader and, uh, you know, four marathons under my belt. I'm still uh, slightly ultra. I've done longer than 26.2. But other than volume, other than just increasing volume, are you um, what's your current thinking on the, the strength training um, other, other than just volume to be a successful ultra runner. Yeah. Thank you, Jeffrey, for the kind words. And, um, you ask a very relevant question, uh, and I'm a big proponent of cross training. I believe that, um, just running can be a a recipe for uh, overuse injury. So I do a lot of cross training, mainly with body weight. So push-ups, pull-ups, uh, sit-ups, chair dips, and something called burpees. Uh, and I religiously every day do a routine of these. Uh, you don't need weights. You don't need anything other than, you know, willpower and discipline. But I would encourage you to cross train as much as you can to build overall um, muscle strength. I think that'll help with 
both injury prevention and recovery after a, a marathon or an ultra marathon. Well, Gregory, thanks for the question and good luck. Uh, Pete writes, the best highs I've had, I'm talking endorphins, have come from efforts of fairly high intensity, but shorter distances like 10Ks and intense sets in the pool or intervals on the bike. Dean's high is surely different physiologically. How would he describe it? No, I would concur. I think that um, if I run four miles, five miles fast and hard, I definitely get a runner's high. I think it's in response to, you know, how much you really punish yourself in some ways. And the difference with running an ultra marathon is that that runner's high can last for three or four or five days after an ultra marathon, which is so counterintuitive because, you know, the, the days after an ultra marathon, you can barely get out of bed. <laughs> you know, you're, you're hobbled, but you're just in this euphoria. I don't know how else to explain it. It's just this tremendous euphoria. And, you know, it's, it's something about the, the experience and the accomplishment, but I think there's more to it. I think there's something chemical going on. One of the things that I was struck by in reading your book is you talk about how the depth of talent that's growing, the, uh, the number of people that are doing it, and just the experience really overall of being an, ultramar uh, an ultramarathon runner or a long distance runner, is that it's changed your priorities. You mentioned things like, you're no longer focused on being fast, um, but but you are relentless. You you talk about endurance uh, versus speed, and I'm wondering if you think, even though we were just talking about these short sets and things, that that what defines a runner, or or if endurance has a little bit uh, over speed when it comes to what defines a runner, in your view. Well, you know, I have a saying, uh, endurance comes from enduring. So how do you build endurance? You, you, you run an ultra marathon and you endure, and that's how you build and, and learn what endurance is about. And, you know, to me, I, I've always, I haven't been, I've, I've always been more interested in how far I can go versus how fast I can go. And that is certainly uh, the case as I'm, you know, maturing, I don't want to say growing old, but as I'm maturing, um, you know, it's all about endurance. How do I continue being a runner and running marathons and ultra marathons into my 60s, my 70s, my 80s, and hopefully my 90s? So it's all about now is about endurance. And, you know, I, I still, you know, measure my race performance, but I'm, I'm more concerned with just reaching the finish line and getting up the next day and doing the same thing. So to me right now, it's a game of uh, showing up you know, showing up and, and running the race, not winning the race. And does that is, answer your question? Yes, it does. I, I'm just curious about how you weigh those things, speed versus endurance, and, and whether or not you feel like endurance defines a runner more than speed. Um, but I think the other piece of this, uh, and you can say something about that if you want, the other piece of this I'm wondering is if also that's just a function of age. Yeah, well, it's well known that as as you age, you get slower. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, I mean, nothing holds a mirror up to you like like running. I mean, it's very obvious that, um, you know, your, your performance, your, you know, your race performance declines. And to me, that's just meant working twice as hard to, you know, run <laughs> twice as slow. But, you know, there are there are um, at most of these races there are age group categories. Right. And so you can win your age group category. But Honestly, I think the only people that they care about who's won the age group category are people in that age group. <laughs> <laughs> 
No one else cares. <laughs> Let me go to caller Fernanda in San Jose. Hi, Fernanda. Hi. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so nervous <laughs> because I'm a, um, I love you so much. <laughs> and um, anyway, I my question was, I am an ultra runner. I started running in my 40s. I'm right now 47. And I just ran my first uh, ultra marathon, actually, uh, last year. Uh, before COVID. And I wanted to know a little bit about your nutrition and what do you do um, uh, in preparation to the race, but also to uh, what do you do in general? I'm a vegan and I know that it has increased my my uh, endurance, but at the same time, I want to know what, what is your kind of like um, preparation before a race uh, as far as nutrition goes. Fernanda, thanks. Uh, yeah, and again, thank you for the kind comments. I hope we can share some footsteps together one day. But um, you ask a good question. Uh, you know, I, I will say that people change over time, especially with diet. Uh, I'll never live down the story of one time uh, ordering a pizza delivered on the run. <laughs> I was on a 200-mile run by myself, and I, I ran out of food, and I had a cell phone and a credit card. So I ordered a pizza delivered to me, you know, uh, roadside as I was running. And just rolled it up into this big Italian burrito and, and ate it as I as I ran. And people say, how, you know, how did you eat an entire pizza while you're running? You know, running 200 miles, I was running for, you know, two days straight. So, you know, all the energy gels and <laughs> and the goos and all of that. We're um, going to do you it. Know, get, get a little old, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, now I've, I've, quote, unquote, cleaned up my diet. So I always say, I, I tell people if I, if I can't dig it from the earth or pick it from a tree or catch it with my hands, I don't eat it. So nothing processed or refined. Um, all, you know, I, I, I tried being a vegan. I tried being a, entirely plant-based and it just, it didn't work well with me. So I added um, animal protein, uh, mostly from the sea. So I get most of my protein from, from fish and seafood. And I don't change my diet at all prior to an ultra marathon. I used to pasta load, you know, as, as most yep. runners think, runners do, you know, you go to the pasta feed the night before and you eat as much pasta as you can. Well, what happens is you show up at the, at the starting line the next morning, completely bloated, <laughs> feeling stuffed to the gills. So I just eat the same meal I eat, you know, before an ultra marathon, I do cut back on the, on the amount of fiber in my diet, especially the insoluble, you know, there's two types of fiber, the soluble and insoluble, you know, the kind of fiber that passes right through you. I cut back on foods that are high in insoluble fiber for, for obvious reasons. Uh, and that's, that's all I do in preparation. And then during an ultra marathon, uh, you know, I'll, I'll drink electrolyte replenishment. Uh, you know, I work with a company called hammer nutrition and they make energy bars and energy gels, which are little packets like squeeze packets that look like honey that comes out, but it's specially formulated, um, for endurance runners. You mentioned carbo loading and people doing pasta and things like that. What would you say is the most stubborn running myth that you constantly encounter? <laughs> is it that one? Is it something else? I, I would say that one. I mean, people have this, you know, and, and still runners, a lot of runners that aren't experienced still think this is true. You know, eat, eat bagels and pancakes, um, you know, the morning of the race. And to me, that just makes you bloated. So yeah. The other thing that always kills me is, you know, during a, like a 5k run, which is three miles, 3.1 miles, I'll show up at the starting line and there'll be people with hydration packs on filled with, you know, hundreds of gel packs. Like, 
oh, I'm going to tackle this thing. And, I, I, and I'm thinking you, you don't need to eat or drink anything during a, a 5K race. I mean, you don't need all those calories. Right. And then I guess the most <laughs> stubborn cliche I've ever heard is, you know, run, Forrest, run. <laughs> if, I, if I hear that yelled out the window again, I'm just going <laughs> to slit my throat. <laughs> hey, yeah, I've often wondered, actually, what is like the weirdest or coolest thing that someone has said to you along the side of the race? Because one of the things that's so amazing about running is that people can get really close to you. They're just standing right there as you're running by, especially as you're heading towards the finish where most people tend to gather. And I'm wondering if there's something that someone said that's really stayed with you. <laughs> Oh, you know, there's, there's a lot of like during big marathons, like the New York city marathon or the San Francisco marathon, there's a lot of, you know, signs that people make, you know, to kind of inspire runners. Um, and someone said, this is, this is a few years ago and I'll date it, but they, they said, um, it, if, if Trump can run, it can't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Dean Carnassus, ultra marathon runner. His new book is A Runner's High, My Life in Motion. And you, our listeners, are with us and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Suman in San Jose, join us. Hi, Suman. Hi. Um, hello. Um, I am, uh, I've been running for about two years now. I ran like a thousand miles last year. I pretty much ran every day. Um, I can run like 16, 17 miles, but I've been hitting my peak where, you know, I, I run into tightness and stiffness, uh, knots and stuff, but, you know, I work them, massage them. It just, those breaks kind of kill him. Is there any techniques that you, mm. I should use? Suman, thanks. I, I hate to say this because no one likes to hear it, but, um, ice baths <laughs> work wonders. If you can fill your ice tub with, um, cold water, uh, you know, nice cubes and soak in that, that really helps a lot. Uh, also, um, magnesium. So like an Epsom salt or oral magnesium can help with recovery. I think that's one nutrient that is coming to the forefront is missing in a lot of runners diets and you absorb magnesium through your skin as well. If you mix Epsom salt with the water, um, those are two things I would recommend also, uh, cross training. I, again, I'll get back to cross training and, you know, if you can start with five burpees, you know, three times a day and increase it to 10 burpees three times a day. And if you can get up to 25 burpees, I think that will really help with that stiffness you're encountering in the later stages of your run. What are burpees? <laughs> you have to Google it. And people that know what a burpee is, everyone's just, oh, no, there it goes again with burpees. But, it's basically you're standing on your feet. You you know you you plop down to your hands. You do a push up. Uh, you jump back up to your feet, and then you jump up in the air and you clap your hands, and that's one. Mm. Uh, and it it might sound easy describing it, but I'll, most people can't do two in a row because most people can't even do a single push up. And you know I I start every day with twenty five burpees. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sound easy even when you're describing it. <laughs> <laughs> Go next to Sarah in San Mateo. Hi, Sarah. Join us. Hi. Thank you. I just want to say I think that this is such a tremendous, amazing thing that uh, all of you ultramarathoners do, not being an ultramarathoner myself. I just wonder how it seems the preparing, the running, the recovery, all the time involved. How does this fit into having time for relationships or family life? I'm just wondering how that works out. Sarah, thanks. Yeah, no, that's a valid question. And, you know, my family always comes first. Uh, I'm a very dedicated husband and father. In fact, 
um, I married my high school sweetheart. <laughs> we met when we were 14 and, and we're still together and our relationship is still wonderful. And I've always brought my children with me. You know, I've been on all seven continents twice now. And I've always taken my kids and my family along with me whenever I could on these adventures. So they've been to Australia. They've been to South America. We've been to Canada many times, all over Europe. Uh, one time I ran 50 marathons in all of the 50 U.S. states in 50 consecutive days. And I took them and, and my parents with me. And we just had the best time. I mean, how many, how many kids, my, my son was nine at the time and my daughter 11, how many kids get to travel to all of the U.S. states? So I, I've made it very much a, a family activity. And I, I don't just take them to a race and me run the race and then we come home. I always plan a lot of non-running activities and sightseeing so that we all enjoy ourselves. Well, Hunter writes, my dear friend Peter from SF is in his 60s and a former alcoholic who heard of Dean's running feats and it inspired him to turn his life around. He's now healthy and an avid runner and tells me all the time how much Dean helped him. So much so that Peter got a tattoo of Dean on his arm and he showed it to Dean at a race. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I know exactly who Peter is. He He's a he's fanatical. He's he, Yes, I know who Peter is. Cool. I, it's funny. I, I've had people like people have tat like runners are passionate, passionate individuals, and they tattooed quotes of mine all over their body. But Peter, I met him at I think the Beta Breakers. He said, "Would you mind writing your name, like signing your name on my arm?" And I and he had like a, a sharpie, like an, a regular sharpie. So I signed my name on his arm, and then I think I saw him at the San Francisco Marathon like a year later and he's like, check out my tattoo. And he lifted it up and he had literally had that, my signature tattooed on his arm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's an amazing guy. I mean, he, he was a former alcohol. I mean, he, yeah, he completely yeah. turned his life around. Yeah. Incredible story. Well, AJ writes, I used to be a distance runner, not a competitive one and not on Dean's level by any stretch. But after years of chronic health problems, I've finally given up the hope that I will ever run again. I just wanted to share that it stays with you. I still sometimes run in my dreams and I wake up with a trace of that sense of freedom. What would you do, Dean, if you couldn't run? Or what Wow. Would I mean, be? that. Yeah, you, you gave me the chills reading that, Mima. I, 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 uh, I define my finish line as a pine box. I mean, I'm not going to stop until I'm 10 feet under. Uh, I'm not sure what I would do. Well, Dean Carnassus, your new book, A Runner's High, it was really, really quite moving, I have to say. So thanks so much for writing it and for joining us to talk about it today. Mina, thank you for having me run by. <laughs> and congratulations on its release. Thanks also to our listeners for their questions and comments for both segments today. Caroline Smith produced both of them for us. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.